With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Good morning, you are with Counterculture here with Marie, and as we do this time every week, and for the final time for 2023, where is it gone? Marty Gibson, how are you? Oh, Marie, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty good, like you. <laughs> we both just said to us, what did you just say to me? I feel like we're coasting over the finish line and we're running out of gas. We're, we're out of gas. <laughs> a little bit. A what little a year. Bit, but, you know, we're still committed to bringing you a great show. We are, and we've done a lot of reading, and and I also just said to you I was so excited to go to the local Foursquare where I get my newspapers to tell them that I won't need any newspapers until the 10th of February. I was very excited by this. So I am giving myself uh, some time off, but boy, you know what? They don't disappoint. Let's start with the question of the ferry, shall we? Because there's some good rich fodder there. It seemed to be all about the ferries this weekend across all newspapers, and so what's now been happening in the last week, as many of you will know, is full credit to Chris Luxon and the team, the coalition team. They are committed at getting as much as they possibly can over the line, hitting the ground running before they break up for Christmas. Credit where credit's due. They said they were going to do it. They are doing it. They're sitting until late at night. And there have been things being pulled left, right and centre. And one of those things was the massive ferry project, upgrade project. Project and oh my lord, uh, not quite as much as the smoking rollback, but it was pretty darn close. If it, it could have been called, uh, if it had been called uh, Safe Crossing or uh, Fair Ferry Services Act or something like that, it, it would have. They, they hadn't quite given it a snazzy name. Nah. But bo- boy, the usual suspects were all out up in arms, extremely upset about the state of the fairies. Uh, Vernon Small, I thought, was probably the most histrionic of, of all of them. Would you agree? The other thing I noticed was on the same page as Vernon Small, editor of the Sunday Star Times, Tracy Watkins correctly said, there is a golden rule that guides politicians after a change of government. Nobody is listening to what the lot who have just been thrown out have to say. Then we've got Vernon Small, journalist and former advisor to Labour Minister David Parker, pontificating on uh, killing IREX off, that's to do with the ferry, was a politically easy call. Finance Minister Nicola Willis and her colleagues are determined to paint the previous government as fiscally irresponsible and incapable of delivering on key promises. Well, here's the thing. I think Squealer painted that all by himself. I don't think he needed any help from Nicola Willis, just quietly. Yeah, so why they still have these apologists for that profligate spending and waste and, you know, a government that's been pretty comprehensively voted out, I don't know, while in the same breath the editor can say, you know, no one's interested in hearing what they've got to say. No, indeed. What indeed. else did he say? I did, well, I, I he, did he sort of said, one source close to the project said Kiwi Rail at one stage wanted to build wharves that could withstand a ferry collision at full speed, which seems a vanishingly unlikely event in Wellington and Picton Harbours. I did agree to a revise its plans for something cheaper without much enthusiasm at a previous government's request, but that was wiped out by more cost rises. So there was plenty of reasons to frown on Kiwi Rail's plan, but the decision to suddenly and unequivocally pull the plug fell short on a number of counts, not least its reception in the affected areas from local government, businesses and workers. He's very, very upset that they pulled the plug. Now, I read Tracy Watkins' article. I read this one from Vernon Small. There was, I mean, every single paper had... This, oh my gosh, this fairy thing is dreadful. Um, and then they, they were doing the whole, there was the cartoon, I think it was Emerson and Nicola Willis talked about comparing why do we need a Ferrari to get across the Cook Strait when a Toyota Corolla will do? And then they had all the cartoons about that. And then what I finally did was read actually the article that I should have started with which was in the Weekend Herald, which was Stephen Joyce. He explains everything. So Stephen Joyce, castles made of sand come tumbling down. It's enough to make you cry. 
As someone who had the opportunity to help with building some significant infrastructure in broadband, roading and rail during the term of key English governments, watching what has happened since to this country has been truly soul-destroying. Billions of dollars have been frittered away and so much time and opportunity has been wasted. Our reputation for building things is in the toilet. We've gone from being a place that could procure some decent kit at a reasonable price to a story of churning plans, blowing budgets, constant restructuring and an appalling lack of delivery, all in just six years. Stephen was putting it all out on the table for the end of the year, wasn't he? Yeah. Again, that's the danger of having politicians and journalists. It's an unholy alliance of the innumerate. You know, they're really not good with numbers. A journalist who's uh, good with numbers is a rarity. Mm, Very rare. And of course, you know, people have short memories. You know, they forget that he actually created and built and sold one of the largest media empires in this country. So Uh, he's very good with numbers. Now, this is where the fairies come in. He goes on. Then there are revelations about the state of Kiwi Rail's inter-island ferry replacement program. How could any government preside over such a slow-moving train wreck for so long? Ooh, do tell, Stephen. The ferry decision was the wrong one from the start. As finance minister in 2017, I clearly recall being advised that rail-enabled ferries would be big, expensive mistakes in this day and age. All over the world, they've been retired and virtually nobody was building new ones. Mm. I mean, you know, before that as well, I mean, I don't read the whole article, but and, and I always wondered what the Auditor General had to say about, you know, especially like I was hearing rumours about just the way they were spraying cash in, in a way that wasn't befitting how much someone has to work to pay the tax for it mm. or pay back the loan that they paid it with. The Auditor General's report on the $15 billion New Zealand upgrade and shovel-ready programs was scathing. It now also transpires that the Treasury derided the most recent transport spending plans in the run-up to the election as unfunded and undeliverable. And, uh, uh, you know, again, it, I always say again, don't I? 2024, this is one of my news resolutions. I'm going to say again, Les. When you put young people in charge of things, there's been a, a systematic devaluing of wisdom in our society, and we're worse off for it. And as you get older, you do realize what some of these hoary old badgers like Wayne Brown, you know, they do bring an animal cunning and experience to the table, and it's worth something. Mm. Well, uh, let's put it this way, 6% of New Zealanders felt that that cunning was certainly worth it in Winston Peters. Six plus, as it turns out, because his numbers have gone up. But this is the thing about the theories. It wasn't until I read this Joyce article that I realised the difference between this new ferry upgrade and what was proposed before. None of this rail-on ferry had been mentioned that I had seen anywhere else. I was like, oh, well, this is new. And he actually clarifies it even further, saying the only fiscally responsible move was roll-on, roll-off ferries, which is what we have right now, which do a fine job shifting freight and people between islands and continents all around the world. With most freight now in containers, getting from shore to ship and ship to shore is simple and easy. In 2017, it made no sense for New Zealand to be the last country in the world building ferries with train tracks on them. However, the Ardern government knew better, as they claimed, in so many areas. I mean, we just heard that with them time and time again. It was either a captain's call or here in New Zealand, we will do things differently. Yeah. We've got the benefit, actually, of um, of not knowing anything. So it makes it possible for my narcissism to uh, use very sparse information to make um, very, very significant decisions that affect all New Zealanders with um, very little view to their consequences. Exactly. We could literally read the whole article. It's that freaking good. But he then just sort of sort of outlined why it became how it became. I mean, you had, they decided to do things differently. They they decided to use a format of ferry that was outmoded and outdated. They turn up at Kiwi Rail and say, this is what we want to do. 
and we're going to underwrite the entire project for you. Fill your boats. Yeah, so, and it's no surprise they filled their boots. Yeah. And, and I, oh, you know, one of the things that I hope is another recurrent theme that uh, that I think everyone should bear in mind is you can get angry at the narcissistic student Marxist politicians, but really someone wants them to be there borrowing all that money and achieving nothing with them. In, in, in that basic Cubono test, you know, it suits some people that New Zealand has got an extra $100 billion of debt and nothing to show for it. Suits them just fine. Mm. The people who print the money are fine with that. And, and, you know, it's the same with unbalanced transgender people. It's it's not their fault. It's just they've been picked up as a useful tool to batter other people with. Narcissistic young Maori radicals. They're going to do what they're going to do. If, if some people are given a license to hate, they're not going to be responsible with it. Mm. Any more than Squealer was no. responsible with a credit card. No. And also the absolute fixation that kids have been taught to have on all those things. Mm. And if you uh, draw them out about it, their um, knowledge of it doesn't really extend to the scientific particularly, just, well, this is the right thing to do and I'm a good person, so I want to do the right thing. Mm. I believe the right thing. I believe um, the right thing, and I like to spit out all my bumper stickers. It tells me that I'm virtuous, and so yeah. that's who I am, yeah. I mean, Stephen Joyce, you know, without wanting to dwell on uh, the last government too much, I think we're all pretty happy to put it behind us, but we're going to be living with the consequences of that decision-making process, the captain's calls and so on. And his reflection was that the problems, you know, other Labour governments have had a reputation for big spending, but they haven't been this bad. I think it comes down to four things. So here's, I won't read them all, but first, Ardern and co. wanted to be transformative. They didn't have well-developed plans, but they knew they didn't want to do ordinary things. So they announced stuff that they hadn't really studied. Uh, Second, they believed they had a mandate to spend money, as a Marxist student politician does when given a credit card particularly as a result of the pandemic, which, as as I've discussed before, dear listeners, uh, was the possum crossing the road and driving off the road down the cliff and into the river was the COVID response. Yes, he he ends that point with rainbows and unicorns for everyone. Third, they had no idea how to execute and no willingness to trust the private sector in any way to execute and make trade-offs for them. And that comes back to that understanding that you get as you get older, that some of these crusty old buggers actually know a thing or two. And when you have to make things and do things after a while, you realise things are a bit more nuanced than you you think they are when you're still in your messianic phase in your late teens and early 20s where so many of these student politicians get trapped and sort of stay there like insects in amber. And fourth, they were obsessed with restructuring and centralizing everything, often for no rhyme or reason beyond leaving their mark. They were obsessive about their legacy rather than just doing things that worked for the people who put them into office. Narcissism. It's the following paragraph that I love. And so we've wasted so much time and so much money. Just think what roads pipes and hospitals we could have built with the money that slipped through the government's fingers over the wasted six years. As I say, soul-destroying. Destroying is a strong word, Stephen, but I I understand what you're saying. Mm. And, you know, Nicola Willis, bless her, she's got a hard road. And the difficulty, of course, is people will expect results. And the reality of it is, is that it's going to take them at least a term, I think, to put out the fire and all the spot fires that will continue to rise from the previous. And during that time, they're going to have the 80% of New Zealand journalists who identify as left or hard left berating them while they're trying to uh, keep the country running with $50 billion less in the first term, because that's what Robbo was borrowing to keep the whole rainbows and unicorns supply going. Mm. You noticed and I noticed the media suddenly discovered a lot of that stuff. Oh, there, God. there was actual journalism 
Yeah, yeah, it's starting to creep back. It is, yeah, and and in the same uh, edition, so the Weekend Herald, John Weeks did a piece saying, how bad is the New Zealand um, economy really? That was surprisingly hard-hitting, wasn't it? It was, and it just was data. Stop it! The data! It was the data. New Zealand's shrinking economy in the third quarter and the likelihood of recession has caused some alarm and sparks the blame game. Finance Minister Nicola Willis said she inherited a toxic trifecta of high interest rates, lingering high inflation and the job and business insecurity of the recession. Look, I mean, I'm not deeply intertwined into the finance market, but I I do, you know, run and partially own a retail and manufacturing business with the day job. And so, you know, one needs to keep sort of abreast of where things are at in terms of inflation and the mood and what this consumer Mm. confidence and all those sorts of things are. And it was really hilarious last week when that number came out. Some of them were saying, oh, it could be 0.2, there could actually be growth. And others were saying, well, actually, no, it might, might be negative 0.1 or 0.2. And of course, it was it shrunk well, the GDP. Nine. Yeah, the GDP number. Stats New Zealand had the New, New Zealand economy shrank by 0.3% in the three months ending to September per capita. And there was even a smaller slice of the pie to go around with GDP per person shrinking by 0.9%. Honestly, I just, if you talk to anybody that interfaces in the real world, out in the community, they could have told you that. Yeah. They really need to start rather than, and and this is another recurrent theme over the last nine months, we've got to just ask questions because supplying data just doesn't really get you anywhere because it's not for a lack of data that people aren't confronting the facts. I think you have to kind of get them saying, well, okay, if the vaccines are safe and effective, for example, and the government has data showing health outcomes by vaccine status, and they promised they'd release it and they've refused to do so, why is that? That's all you need. That's a very valid question. And and so, you know, with all all of the Maori leaders talking about the governments, you know... (laughs) you know, wanting to take the treaty out of, you know, destroy the treaty or whatever they say, however they characterise asking questions about Easter Island statue Geoffrey Palmer and his principles of the treaty that he said were just window dressing. They'd need to start saying, how come you guys are not more interested in the horrendous failure of Māori students in the uh, education system? And why did you not, why did you not say, make a peep when Labour on their first day in office can charter schools which were actually showing signs of turning it around for the Māori and Pacifica students who attended. How come? That says a lot. It's like, you know, when they must remember what bill it was that it repealed because it wasn't the anti-smacking bill. But you know how you could tell that the anti-smacking bill wasn't actually to stop children being assaulted in New Zealand, but rather was a a Marxist crowbar to open families so the government would have access to them. There were no ads on TV after that was done that showed parents how you deal with oppositional, especially oppositional children, without smacking them. Like, if you were really worried about that, that's what you do. They didn't do it. Yeah, those little things like that. Well, there's just the sacred anger, as you call it, is still continuing. And I see, I look at the repealing of the smoke-free legislation. In this, to me, I'm a non-smoker. I do not like smoking. I've never liked smoking. I've never had a cigarette. I would avoid places with secondhand smoke. It's not my jam. But the thing is, is that the repealing and the reducing of the nicotine in the the plan that they had in that smoke-free legislation, my concern was, is it's a slippery slope, and you need to recognise a slippery slope where you see one. We had that during the COVID measures and we had a good dose of fear to force a lot of people not to recognise it. And it's very, very easy to go, oh, yes, I'm going to go down that toboggan because it looks good because I quite enjoy a good ride. And when you enjoy it and it's something that you like or you agree with, it's easy to go, of course, this is a a good thing. This is going to save lives. This is going to be good for Māori Pacifica. We must do this. But you actually need to step back and look at the principle 
And it's the principle that concerns me because the minute you legislate something like reducing the nicotine in cigarettes, then reducing the places that you can sell it, and then eventually banning it, what's then not to say that you're going? They're going to decide to do that, say, with alcohol and sugar and meat, all these other things that we take for granted for argument's sake. And if you're going to play devil's advocate and say, oh, yes, but it's important for the health. Well, then if you're going to apply that metric to cigarettes, you should be applying that metric to alcohol. Or actually, let's have a look at all the over-the-counter drugs you should be doing. Hmm, what is actually the one food item that's actually causing just as much or more damage within our health system as the effects of smoking currently? Hmm, sugar. You know, there's a million and one things that you can apply it to, but the where do you also get self-responsibility and personal choice? That's the thing I find with that smoke free legislation is that, as you said, it opens the door, it creates the crack to actually then let a whole bunch of other legislation in. And before you know it, your lives are completely encaptured and you do not have self-determination over anything. Especially as uh, I'm sure you caught the ad that BNZ uh, had done for someone to administer central bank digital currencies for them. Is this the job ad? Yeah. Stop it. I did hear I did hear a waft about it. Oh, Tell I mean, me more. It's, it's all there. I mean, again, you know, we, again, they always talk about conspiracy theories. You don't need theories. <laughs> you can see the job ads and you can see the working papers from the Reserve Bank that just absolutely have a great deal of enthusiasm for the idea of currency that the government could keep an absolute track on what everyone's spending. And maybe if you're Justin Trudeau, you can stop. You can freeze people's bank accounts if they're supporting something you don't like. If well, the last few years has taught us anything, it's that we probably should stop laughing at these personality disordered people who've somehow gotten to the top of media and politics and, and start understanding the existential threat that they pose to us. Yeah, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Yes, yeah, indeed. One of the places I noticed journalism this week, which sort of, again, talks about this insanity of, of these cluster B-type personalities. I stumbled across an article from the spin-off. So from December 13, mm. why Auckland Museum pulled the pin on hosting a hit Harry Potter exhibition. Now, this story has totally flown under the radar. Mm. Totally flown under the radar. Now, the Harry Potter exhibition, which is the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts and the Wonders of Nature tour, has been a smash hit exhibition tour across the world. Absolute smash hit. Credit where credit is due. Duncan Grieve has done essentially just a timeline article. Again, the facts. They got OIAs, they got the data. And the Cliff Notes version essentially is that the discussion was had around bringing this to Auckland in March of 2024 after the exhibition had just been in Melbourne. Now, bearing in mind, just being in Melbourne. It's one thing I can tell you about Melbourne is it's woker than Auckland. So now the problem being, of course, for our little friends up at Auckland, a a very small number of people up at Auckland Museum, is that J.K. Rowling is problematic for some people because of her very strong feminist, old school third wave feminist dance. Without sort of hashing into it, I mean, do go and read it because it is a very, very long article. But it just tracks the communications of how an exhibition can get killed by, out of a survey of 500 people, where you've got two responses that are negative, and then eight staff members that are, and I quote, the museum's head of people, Catherine Smith, head of people for normal people is HR, uh, Catherine Smith representing eight members of the museum's rainbow community, said that the museum will send a message that they do not care about our communities and will do whatever it takes to make money. It goes on to say that this will result in the deterioration of our safe space and what is outlined is barely scratches the surface. So their concern basically is, is that there were eight staff members that didn't want to work an exhibition that they projected would make the museum $151,000, not to mention the 498 people that they surveyed out of 500 that were super excited about this thing coming. And it had absolutely a smashing success in Melbourne, outperforming projections, 
and they didn't want to bring it here because they wanted to look for another exhibition that more closely aligns with our values. Yeah, it's a bit like when Rotten Tomatoes or Tomatoes uh, only bought five woke reviewers in to review Dave Chappelle, the, one of my favourite American comedians, uh, his Netflix special Sticks and Stones, and they all gave it 0%. So that just absolutely triggered demand to see it. And they opened it up to regular people, and they just on principle gave it 100%, and it got up to something like 99% positive reviews. They're running out of time. Mm. You know, the tide's going out. And that's always where authoritarians uh, are most dangerous because they uh, they get desperate. I mean, I have to say, credit where credit's due to spin off and Duncan Grieve for the piece. I think, good on you, Duncan. It was a good piece. It just, it was a nice timeline, outlining yeah. everything that went on. And I tell you what, if anyone feels like if you've got a Harry Potter lover in your house, and I know that when my kids would have been of a certain age, they would have loved to have seen that. Even now, actually, I love Harry Potter. I've read all the books multiple times. Have you? It, I have. It's just, look, it's just wonderful escapism. It's, it really, it, and you've just gone and, I mean, joy eaters, the dementors. You're just dementors mm. sucking the joy out of all of this. So if you feel a wee letter coming on across the summer, why don't you write to Auckland Museum and just tell them what a dick move that was? Because I think Ooh. it's a dick move. You know, as I said, credit where credit's due. Check it out in the spinoff, 13 December. Everything is laid out there of what went yeah, on. Yeah, it's like some of those journalists just getting those first flushes of, of joy, although, you know, in this case, integrity as they're coming off that damaging government money. You know, and they don't experience the heady highs that they did when they were an addict, but now they're sort of getting something that's got a bit more integrity and is ultimately a bit more satisfying and self-reinforcing. Mm. Well, and, you know what impresses me with this too, is the spin-off is actually would be one of the first publications that would actually have, you know, if that was written with the usual lens that I would expect to see from them, it would be anti-trans this and it would have been lifting up and elevating Auckland Museum for their decision for pushing away the infidel of J.K. Rowling, whereas this wasn't. It was just, this is what happened. Here's the facts. These are the OIAs. These are the communications. Make up your own mind. Yeah. Oh, my well, God, journalism, buddy. Yeah, thank goodness. Uh, you know, I'm domestic. I've said it a number of times. The door opening a crack demands that we embrace the maximum amount of personal responsibility and understand that what got us into this problem was having disdain for politics that meant we were destined to be governed by our inferiors, as uh, Plato or Socrates said. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got to get interested. We've got to, you, you're sending your kids to school, you're thinking it's like it was when you were at school. It's not. Go and have a look at stuff. Take an interest in things because we've all taken our eye off the ball with disastrous consequences. And, you know, we kind of like we've slid down a, a, an ice wall and we've just got snagged up on something. Like we've stopped falling, but we've got a long way to get mm. back out of danger. So for you this year, what has probably been the defining story? Oh, gosh. It's uh, really tough to think about. I mean, in some ways, it's it's all a, a bit of a blur of mis and disinformation. I can't think of one story that uh, that sums it all up. But I think, by and large, if I were going to look back and find one, it would be some of the stories that were denigrating Winston Peters and people who had doubts about the narrative. It would probably be more a cartoon which showed Act being chased by a tinfoil hat-wearing blowfly that was labelled anti-vaxxer. And there's a hangover from that in Claire Trevitt's column where she gives the Politician of the Year award to Winston Peters. There will no doubt be those horrified by the choice, those at whom Winston Peters takes aim and those who abhor his party's policies, the environmentalists, a fair swathe of Māori, other politicians, many media colleagues, those who aren't conspiracy theorists, and probably act leader David Seymour. So those who aren't conspiracy theorists. Again, Claire, you don't need theories. You just have to read what they want to do 
that you guys don't report on. Just those two things. The fact that the government has all the data for the health outcomes of people uh, split between whether they're vaxxed and anti-vaxxed and refuse to release it. Mm. Just that. That's not a conspiracy theory. No. That's a fact. She also gets blatantly wrong where the timeline went. So she says here his party was only about 2% in the polls. The ACT Party had managed to snaffle up segments of New Zealand First supporter base. But the tide was turning on Labour well before Ardern stepped down and Peters could sniff the opportunity. He played the long game. It started in November 2022 when he did an interview with the Herald's Audrey Young and specifically ruled out going with Labour. Nah, no, Claire Trevitt, it didn't start in November 2022. That's only when you noticed. Mm. No, when it started was in February of 2022 where a dapper pinstripe-suited man was the only New Zealand politician. politician, with the exception of our darling Rodney, of course, who actually went down there to view the protests with his own eyes. Mm. That's when it started. Yeah, that, that was when it started. I, I agree. I concur, Busky. Mm. <laughs> well, yes! <laughs> it was first necessary step to support among those former New Zealand First supporters who still nursed a grievance over his 2017 decision to side with Labour. I don't argue with that. I have to admit, I certainly wasn't thrilled with that decision. Well, except it wasn't his decision. No, exactly. It was a caucus decision. Exactly. His campaign was different to the usual Peters campaign. The messages he pushed and the way he campaigned, there were the big public meetings, but none of his usual road trips to talk on the street corners and the small audience and retirement villages. He was playing a different audience. It remains unclear how much of the stuff he said is genuinely believed. He hasn't yet backed away from much of it. A fair chunk of it is in the coalition agreement. He managed to win back enough of those peeved off former NZ First voters from ACT and National to essentially get across the line. She so missed so much of the point there. I mean, what he did is he actually took the time, he went out to the country. I mean, he probably travelled more than any other politician in the campaign. He hit those areas where he, and this is his gift, this is the gift, I think, of 42 years in politics. He hit those areas that he knew that felt that they were not being listened to. Yeah, and knew they were being lied to. That's a horrible feeling. When you know that not only is someone wrong, but they know they're wrong and they're gaslighting you. And so I I think, um, you know, I mean, anytime you step in when you See, Sam, someone's in an abusive relationship and you recognize it and give them a hand, say. They do feel tremendous loyalty to you because most people just ignore the signs and go along with things at face value. I've done a few of those, actually. And I think that that was essentially what Winston Peters did. He uh, recognized that New Zealand was in an abusive relationship with its government, said to them, no, you're not crazy. That it suits them to make you think you're crazy. Hmm. Of course, I introduced you in the first place, but I don't know, how was I to know it was going to turn out like this? I didn't know she was such a dick. Yeah. And that, for me, that was the defining story of the year, was how a party for the first time ever that went from 2% in the party vote to the results that they had on election night to form a coalition government with not holding a candidate seat, which has never been done in MMP, and to do it in that space of time. And here's the thing, they didn't cannibalise the vote from National. I mean, the National vote was pretty much static, and Claire Trevitt even says it in her article, the National vote that was polling at around that time uh, at the end of November 2022 was pretty much what they got on election night. ACT was the one that sort of bounced up and down and, and over the show. But what Winston Peters was able to do was he was able to take the 8% of New Zealand voters in the 2020 election that felt disenfranchised with what was going on, but unfortunately got scattergunned across the political spectrum and all those votes got wasted. And I mean, what, three odd percent of those were his. 
So he was able to take a good chunk of those disenfranchised voters who didn't have any of the problems that they were facing resolved in that 2020 election. In fact, they probably were only amplified in that time. And they were able to be channeled and he was able to convince them, a good chunk of them, look, you may not completely agree with me all of the time, but I'm going to give you a voice. Well, also Christopher Luxon, and for reasons best known to himself, had said, I don't want any votes from anti-vexers. And it's like, oh, well. well, Okay. Okay. It seems an unorthodox approach, but be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that was the the story of 2023. And I'm not an anti-vexer, but he meant people who uh, had serious questions about mandatory experimental gene therapy. Mm. I spoke to someone today and she was just saying that they were, you know, and these are people that are true blue type national voters. And she said to me today, she said, oh, you know, we are enjoying, she said, Winston racking things up. Yeah. And those numbers, the Curia poll numbers show that actually some people are quite enjoying it, according to them. We've had a nice little bump in the polls since the election, New Zealand first. I think one of the things that has, well, it's really come home to me and I think you know, other people are realizing it as well, you know, from a different angle often, is that people aren't the same. We've had this enduring kind of uh, idea that that people are all equal, equality, equity, etc. And so 95% of of scientists agree with the climate change thing, or out of 18,000 doctors in New Zealand, or doctors, medical professionals, possibly, only 250 were members of New Zealand doctors speaking out with science. To assess things in that way is to think that everyone's equal. It turns out that people who are genuinely willing to buck group thought are far rarer than everyone would have liked to have thought. Mm. And there was a great interview, and I'd encourage everyone to check it out, Paul Brennan did with Fergus O'Connor Greenwood, who wrote a book, 180 Degrees, Unlearn the Lies You've Been Taught to Believe. And he was talking about the different kinds of people involved, particularly in the COVID thing, but just generally. And his thing was, rather than um, slice through each of them, you've got to slice across, and there are kind of, yeah, there are sort of psychos in each camp in some ways. And as I said earlier, we've got to we've got to take those people a bit more seriously because we used to hang them and we don't anymore and they've kind of taken over a bit. Mm. There's almost tacit permission now with the change of government that actually no is okay. And one of the things for me looking forward to 2024 will see whether or not the culture war will rev up or whether or not cancel culture and the ilk will soften because people will feel stronger about going, no, actually, I don't like that. No, I'm sorry. I'm not Mm. going to accept that, and I'm not going to take the knee, and I'm not going to apologise, and actually I'm going to stand on my convictions, on my opinion, or I'm going to ask that question because no one else is asking it. And don't bat me off with a bumper sticker answer. Yeah, don't don't give Give me me a squirt of squid ink. Yeah, <laughs> that is calling me racist or sexist or homophobic or transphobic or Islamophobic. It's a simple question, it whatever is. the question is. And I think, you know, we, we've always got to be careful. And I mean, I have this issue sometimes in um, some of the political panels I do where, where the uh, conversation turns to the Middle East. And, you know, I'm always wary of fishtailing. We've got to make sure we don't overcorrect. Yeah. Definitely. And, and so it's really important that we, as I said, don't see ordinary Māori as uh, the problem. They have got some real problems, to de- and we live alongside them. It, it's all of our concern that the infanticide rate is, is super high, their imprisonment rate is high, But and this is maybe where they need to lay this out a bit more articulately, is we, we agree that that's a problem. We just don't think that blaming everyone else for the problem gives you the most agency. Mm. The thing to do in the first instance, as painful as it is, is to go, how is this my fault? Mm. And I've done that. (laughs) I've said it before. You know, I've spent my fair share of time in the fetal position, taking a good hard look at myself for the first time and, and not liking what I see. 
And then going through the period after that of gradually being more careful in what I say and casting aside things that I realize are unworthy. And there is that feeling that you're bleeding to death and there's going to be nothing left of you at the end of it. And I understand Māori have that feeling, you know, if, if they give us give up their haka, you know, you know that that's such a core part of them. But you know, you can substitute patus for for hose and. And I just remember, you know, the voice that for Māori that really spoke clearly on this issue was Alan Duff in the nineties, yeah. and his solution for that was books and homes and books and schools, books and Māori homes. Because mm. he saw that education was their way out. He saw that lifting those literacy numbers was going to actually help give them the best chance to beat those statistics, whether it be going to prison or abuse or the like. There are those voices out there for Māori. Karina Shields would be one. The Landy sisters mm. would be others. I mean, they're there. And I'm really proud that here on Reality Check Radio, we give them a voice because they're largely largely being ignored. Actually, we really need to talk to Alan Duff, don't we? Yeah, I don't know where he is these days. Yeah, no. they're necessarily a bit contrarian. Mm. By the time they get to speak in public, they've been attacked a fair bit. And so they come across as surly and people think, oh, you know, he's just an angry guy who hates Māori. Mm. When really, you know, it's so important that they say, hey, no, I really want to, I want them to have better outcomes. And if I've read a couple of his books, Māori, The Crisis and the Challenge is particularly worth reading. It's a really thoughtful read. Mm. It's that difference between individualism and being a school of kahawai, which is what so many Māori so to party Māori politicians seem to want to have Māori be. Yes, indeed. Actually, I've just suddenly thought Pem would probably know where he is, I would have thought. Yeah. Education contemporary. Hey, we've got some really lovely feedback. Well, let's have that. Let's Push have us across feedback. the line. Yeah. Push us across the line. This first one is young Māori MP, activist, but at 21, what experience or knowledge does she have? Good reason for minimum age and experience limits for MPs. She can't offer something she hasn't learned. As for the party, racist by design and Māori seats also racist by definition. Small course in democracy needed. Oh, sorry, Māori culture doesn't do democracy. That was from the text machine. Marie, good to hear Matt Robson. Did you hear the interview I did with Matt Robson? Yeah, I did. Awesome. Yeah. And in a previous life, Marie, I mean, to tell you this, I used to manage the startup of a quarry in the Auckland environment, and one of the neighbours was Matt Robson. Oh, the... And I used to meet with his wife, Petronella. And Petronella was the head of a uh, group called Ellerslie Mount Wellington Residents Opposed to Quarrying. So that was a good uh, meeting to have on a Saturday morning when I was pretty hungover. So you weren't invited over for tea and scones then? Well, I think I did a pretty good job, and I think that I uh, put a human face on, on you know, and I was con- I understood that, you know, it was a bit stressful having me and a 75-ton digger ripping basalt out with a license to set off explosives 30 yeah. metres from a back fence. I can yeah. understand why, you know. But, you get a bit sparky about that. You know, Auckland did need uh, nine tonnes of aggregate per man, woman, and child, so oh, what can you, you do, Petronel? What can you do? So this one's from Mark. Hey, Marie, good to hear Matt Robson takes me back to when I was in the alliance, when socialism wasn't doctrinaire Marxist and authoritarian. Great reminder, Mark. You didn't actually pull him too much on how Marxist he was, did you? No, I didn't. He did actually say that he was quite socialist. But what was really interesting, though, is that he was very critical of some of the causes that those, the new breed, are very, Mm. very passionate about. And it was just a very, very interesting conversation. So, no, I, I was quite happy to let it run and uh, have people make up. He, he's, yeah, he's from that Chris Trotter school of exactly. uh, gentleman socialists, isn't he? He is he, very, uh, very much so. Yeah. Um, and I've said to Bonnie, and I did mention it uh, to him, I'd love to have him for political panel. I think he would be yeah. great on yeah, political panel. Yeah, he'd be panel. awesome. Okay, Marie and Marty, love you guys. God help us. My 67-year-old friend came round today to see me and tell me I'd disrespected her by not answering her telegram post. And she's unjabbed, anonymous. I think this is in terms of people just wanting instant responses and even within our own community, we can be frustrated. 
Uh, this one from, hi, I'm from Canada. I've always disliked the forced language agenda. All it does is divide a people and now it's happening again. You're absolutely right. I've now put the brakes on and refused to learn another a word. Have a great blessed day. And that was from Bonnie. I think I'm we've got to overcome that and think it's it's up it's, to... It's, it's about reclaiming our own authenticity with the language and I think yeah. we do need to, it's going to be a bit bumpy for a bit but I think once things settle down hopefully we can reclaim it and get some balance back oh, kia ora, kia ora. Yep, this is from JP I listen to RCR and the platform and it's nice to have a home in the twilight zone Marie and Marty you're my favourite segment of the week and that's from JP oh. thanks JP thanks, uh, my favourite version of the national anthem is Dennis Marsh Billy T James and When a Child is Born Rocks too. and of course uh, the RSA Have You Signed In and Levin is pretty good as well now I actually looked up that have you seen that the no. RSA Have You Signed In it's hilarious I'll send you the link it's really funny this one's from Libby. Hi, Marie. Just enjoying and being pushed out of my comfort zone by listening to your interview with Matt Robson. Holy heck, I wish you'd interviewed him prior to the election as his comments about Winston Peters freaked me out. He was a gentleman on your show calling Peters out on horrible racist comments from the past that I just can't now stomach. I voted for New Zealand first this time, but for the first time, and on the back of the co-review and therapeutics bill, despite always being negative about Peters in the past, I thought that maybe I'd been manipulated by the media in the past, so I was willing to put my feelings aside. But now, I can only hope that people, i.e. Peters, can actually change and that the COVID times and age has made Peters change his attitude. Fine wines improve with age, so surely a statesman can too. Fingers crossed. Life is so confusing now. You do try to do the right thing politically, but really maybe my anarchist friends are right. It's all just a scam. Much love and long-time listener Libby. One thing I will say to you, Libby, none of them are perfect and they're all scorpions. Mm. So I think the key is, is you and you said it here, for you it was the COVID review and the therapeutics bill. And um, we know that the therapeutics bill is something that he's been passionate about. He's been pushing that legislation back since 2005. And I think yeah. that's what we have to do. We have to pick and choose, don't we, and, and uh, vote in order to get to the things that are important to us. Whoever you vote for, government still wins. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the it's like casinos, isn't it? The house mm. always wins. This is from Shirley. I caught, only caught part of the conversation this morning about Māori activism. We are inundated with comments from the media about the unfair treatment of Māori, especially regarding health. Is this a beat-up? I don't know if genetics make Māori more prone to illness and early death, but it seems to me education, diet, and self-responsibility might have a lot to do with it. Love your program. I, I think you'd be right there. I think you would be right. Not turning up for appointments has a bit to do with it. But, yeah, the education thing, you know, the, the fact that leaders are willing to bleat on about the justice system being racist, the health system being racist, and they're not really, really disgusted with the poor performance of the education system is very telling. Mm, indeed. And we can't uh, finish a session of feedback without something from our friend from Mike. Mike and Libby. Yeah, the lovely Mike. Uh, hi, Marie and Marty. I don't know really how to thank both of you for all you've done for me since I started listening to RCR. Anyone who makes me reflect and gives me a new perspective deserves very high praise. My wife would have wanted to hug you both because she would have thought I would never change and just be a grumpy old bastard for the uh, rest of my days. He lost his wife. Yes, he lost his wife earlier in the year. Uh, mm. I'll say that, sorry, I'm interrupting you later there, Busky, more Mike. But this is the the first year of, of Reality Check Radio, so it's by it's the first time I'd really done something like this on a regular basis. And your letters and other people's letters of encouragement really, really did help build up that confidence to just keep doing what we were doing. You know, so so thanks so much for, for those letters of encouragement. The critical ones too, you know, I thought about those and did some self-reflection with those. But yeah, thanks, Mike. And, and here's to a better to 2024 for you, buddy. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's had a tough year. He said, for the rest of my days, but I'll be listening to your reason, thought and common sense ideas. I now have a new and very much better attitude. Heather, my wife, will be dancing up there, celebrating with what you've done for everybody in RCR land. Have a Merry Christmas and awesome New Year, but most of all, rejoice with family and friends and return to us rested and strong. We will miss you until you return. And that's from Mike. Well, Mike, we will miss you too. I'll see if I can write some columns, Mike. 
There you go. Keep it on the columns. And then also we had some feedback asking about the Harry Potter. So I, I had actually already dug that article out. So I was quite pleased that I was able to bring that one to yeah. you as well. So thank you for the feedback. And uh, 2057 is the text number, of course, at inbox at realitycheck.radio is the email. Even though we're not going to be back until the new year, you can still send your feedback in. And actually, ideas. For 2024, things or directions that you think you'd like us to cover. I mean, if you like what we do, let us know. If you want us to cover more things in different areas, less politics, more finance, or whatever it may be, um, let us know. Let us know because I mean, Marty and I kind of do this a bit by instinct and feel, but we're more than happy to to be guided by you. It's horrifying how little planning uh, goes into it. We do read everything. We do read it. We so do. You read don't a lot. have to. <laughs> heading into 2024 and, and the break so of course we're back our first show back put this in your calendar people our first show back will be valentine's day just for you bringing the love in 2024 so that will be the first day back february 14 what is the one thing you're going to be most looking forward to over the break martin not consuming media Same. Yeah. Re- really uh, you know, i'm interested generally and you know there, there may be a project in in the pipeline to this end, I'm far less interested in talking about what is happening than I am talking about what needs to happen. You've got to bear in mind that fear is a weapon that's been used against us and and, and it, it is fed off. So if you can reduce the amount of fear you're feeling and put your best foot forward and be your best person, use that Confucian adage that i'm so fond of if you look into your own heart and find nothing wrong there what is there to worry about what is there to fear so that's my little parting christmas present there you go merry christmas happy new year god bless there you go mine is much more simple get sand between your toes and sun on your face and love in your heart and chardonnay in your guts well, yeah, that will be me. <laughs> hey, look, I want to thank you for we've had a, we've had a blast this year, you and I. Yeah, awesome, man. Hey, thanks fun. for uh, thanks for yeah, getting my sleeve caught in the machinery. I know, and forcing you to do this at the same time every week. Yeah, well, it's, it's really it has given my year off a whole uh, different level of meaning. So thanks for that, Maria. And as I said, you've done an incredible job this year pulling oh, the stuff buddy. together. And- Oh, and I look forward to it. We're going to bring you more of this in 2024. So as I said before, 2057 is the text month number and inbox at realitycheck.radio is the email. And don't disappear. Still more Buskies Christmas bangers yet to come before we disappear for 2023. Thanks, Marty. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.